morning, everyone. Welcome to FBNA Fridays. How are we doing? Good morning. Good. Glenn from yep. Global Growth, head of FBNA over there. We also have uh, our friend, uh, our friend Chris Ortega out at Amasis. How you doing, Chris? Awesome. Living the dream. Beautiful day out here in Indianapolis, Indiana. Summer's here. Let's get it. Yeah. Well, I got to see I got to see Glenn yesterday. Uh, he came to the Planful office for a little bit, which was nice to see him in person. It's been a while. Uh, so, guys, today we've got some amazing uh, conversation. Uh, we're going to be talking about how to build your FP&A persona inside and out. So we're going to talk about the different personas that we see inside of FP&A. We're going to talk about how do you go about building it and, and why do it? Why why have a persona? Why try and actually go and create and shape your environment like that? And uh, and just some of the common challenges, pitfalls, and difficulties that you may encounter. For those on the clubhouse, uh, we love to get you up here and ask any questions. So feel free to raise your hand and uh, Vicky, our moderator, will bring you up onto the stage and we'll make this as interactive as possible. Uh, but firstly, I'd like to start with with Glenn. Um, Glenn, you've been working in FP&A for a long time, you know, part of strategy, part of finance. What sort of personas do you see uh, when you're working in that environment? Well, most people in FP&A, it's kind of natural that we are more introverted than extroverted. People in finance tend to gravitate towards the numbers. Oh, I want to be doing the, the data analysis. Let me sit in front of my computer and build my Excel model, that type of thing. But to advance through your career, you actually have to start making those connections. You have to start building trust with people outside your organization. And you have to build your brand. Now, the thing is, a lot of people might not be familiar with really what a brand is. It's more than just reputation. It's what people think and feel about you. And, you know, I, I kind of think of a, a common brand that we know, like Coca-Cola. You could think about it. Someone could say Coca-Cola, you know immediately what their logo looks like. You know what it tastes like. You could picture it on a hot summer day and you're like, oh, very refreshing, a little bit on the sweet side, whatever. <laughs> you know, you, you get all of that stuff. That's your your persona. And so... Most people in finance roles typically have an initial persona of, oh, if I ask this person a question, they'll answer. They're technically sound. They can, uh, you know, they, I could bring them to, into a meeting and they could be a technical expert. What most people in finance don't have is that strategic partner, that thought partner that says to an executive, hey, I could be there in any situation and help advise you from not just a financial side, but kind of from a bigger picture side. And that takes time to build out. And you have to work at changing your persona and your and your reputation with the organization and, and build that brand internally. But you can also be doing that externally to help, uh, you know, really kind of create that platform for yourself. Most people in finance don't do that. Yeah, I think, um, you know, Chris, I'll turn over to you. When I see and, and speak with a lot of folks uh, in many organizations, it's just having an awareness of how you can shape your own persona, I think is really important, regardless of whether you're in finance or not. Some people just don't have that awareness that, oh, this is how people perceive me or this is how they, um, you know, how they, they, they have that brand reputation, right? And, and really important to, to kind of create and shape that. Chris, what, what personas have you seen as you've worked uh, through FP&A teams? 
Yeah, I think for me, uh, Glenn, uh, you know, talked a little bit about it. For me, uh, starting off my career in public accounting, when I jumped right into accounting, uh, you know, you, you, you see so many different personas, even in public accounting, right? So for me, I was always the type of, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm an extrovert by nature, but I think what public accounting showed to me was that there's a time and place to be extroverted and there's time and place to be introverted. And for me, like, uh, being in public accounting was a tremendous experience, but I knew I was different. Like I knew my thought processes, my, the way that I looked at things was different. So for me, I looked at that as an opportunity to help educate and just inform others inside the business, as well as the clients I was supporting. But really uh, early in my career, I knew that for me, uh, coming out of college, having an accounting finance experience, uh, from a degree perspective, I knew that my persona, my personality and what those things were, were better aligned towards more of what uh, finance and FP&A was. So for me, I think, you know, accounting, finance, FP&A people wear four different hats in terms of the persona that they have inside the business. And specifically, I'm going to talk about inside the business. And then as we get more conversation, I'll talk about the external persona. But inside the business, there's really four key personas. There's scorekeepers, there's constraint operators, uh, there's constraint, uh, the discipline operators, constraint advisors, and valued advisors inside the business. So for me, I think like when you think about inside of a business, typically accounting and finance FP&A fit one of those four modes. How do you measure those four modes? Those four modes, if you look at the x-axis, low to high, uh, that's going to measure business insights. If you look at the y-axis, low to high going up, that's going to look at financial efficiency, right? When you're in the top right corner, which is high on financial efficiency and high on business insights, that those are valued advisors. That is holy grail persona, what you want inside the business. How do you know your that persona? Ask your business leaders and say, hey, what's the value proposition of accounting, finance, and FP&A for us, right? If that leader, organization, stakeholder, teammate says to you, hey, finance is great in providing the numbers. You guys get us the numbers on time not really a valued advisor uh, persona. That answer to that question is the, the lower uh, left-hand corner, which is going to be low on financial efficiency and low on business insight. Those are your traditional scorekeepers. So how you rank and how you look at financial efficiency, how you deliver business insight through knowledge, partnership, and collaboration, that's really going to identify internally what your persona is to the organization. And mine to all the listeners is, is ask them that simple question, right? What is the value proposition accounting finance and accounting finance and FPA brings to you? That's going to tell you exactly where you fit at on that on that spectrum, um, which I think is always important to understand is, is establishing the baseline, you know. And when you're able to do that, at least you know where you're at and how you can enable your team, how you can get resources how you can uh, further uh, impact your value proposition to move across those different personas inside the organization. So for me, um, and it also, again, I think for the listeners too, you're going to operate in different environments. There's been environments where the most value proposition we bring to the team was being a scorekeeper. So it's not to say like, because you're a valued advisor, that may actually be a disruption to the business or because you're a constraint advisor, that may be the best place you could be at, right? If you're in a startup, high growth company, like there's been times where I've had to operate as just a scorekeeper. Like I need to, 
I'm where I'm going to provide value to the team and to the organization is by making sure they know what the score is, right? The people are out there playing the game. They need to know the score. They need to know how many timeouts we have left. They need to know how many fouls people have. That's what they need to know. And that's where I'm going to be best positioned. So it's, it's a very fluid and you should be able to guide, but at the same point, you should always be driving towards that North star, which are value advisors inside the business. So that's kind of how where I've seen the internal personas uh, for a county finance and FDNA. Chris, that, that's Actually, super helpful. Yeah, keep keep going, Glenn. Is that even if you're at one place in you know those four different personas that Chris was talking about, you can change that. You can be proactive and you can change where you are and how you are perceived. And that's one of the things that uh, a lot of times people don't recognize they think oh well i'm i'm viewed this way therefore i have to be like this and no you don't you can go over and you can really kind of change how how you're perceived what your reputation is and what that value is that you bring you just have to be proactive and put a little more effort into it yeah 100 percent. we we talk we have a concept here at Plantful of environment shapers and environment takers and uh and and what chris was talking about the valued advisors and you know, that, that's where you're an environment shaper. Um, and when you're at that, you're at that level, you have the self-awareness, self, uh, self, uh, confidence, self-leadership where you're able to actually operate in those four different modes that Chris was talking about. I would, I would also say that within inside the FPNA team, right? Not every team is a team of one. You may have a, a, a collective group of folks one might be the scorekeeper and that might be the best role for them. They get to play bad cop every day and, and they get to be the scorekeeper. And the other persona, typically your controller, right? Um, <laughs> um, and, uh, and, and other folks might be at that kind of constrained advisor role or they might be right at the valued advisor role and that's the best time for them. And so if you're sitting there thinking, how do I get to valued advisor level and you're in a team, think about your teammates and think about what roles do they fit? How can you go and learn from those folks to say, ah, oh, actually I'm going to go and learn from this valued advisor, how they got there, what they did uh, and, and how they're trying to create and shape their environment with inside the business as well. So uh, Chris, let's, let's just uh, talk for a moment. How do you go about building that persona? Yeah, great question. And I think that's that's always a good question I get from people when I talk about that, that those four quadrants of where people need to be. Right. Um, I think the first thing is in any situation if where you're trying to build, you have to know where you're at today. Right. Where are you at today and what is the business need? Right. So in a lot of my experiences as small, uh, either small, medium, large, entrepreneurial, public, all the different experiences that I've had. I've always came in and said, okay, what is the value? And this is where I get, what is the value proposition that I want the, uh, or we want the team to have, right? And again, Glenn mentioned to it, Rowan, you talked about it. You wear different hats, right? So it's never about, oh, you know, we're always going to be constrained at buyers is where we're at right now. But establishing where you're at in terms of your business insights and financial efficiency is the first place. Establish the baseline. So if you know like, when I first started at Amarsis, to share my example of uh, my experience that I had, when I first started at Amarsis, I don't even think I was on this on one of the quadrants, right? Like 
there was no accounting finance FP&A operations five years ago in the Marxist North America to lead the Americas operations. There was nothing there. So for me, the baseline was like all the experience I had before and what I needed to be. So I came into it and said, okay, wh- I, what does high performance and partnership mean to me? And that, that was like the cornerstone of what I wanted to bring to the organization. I said, day one, I don't want to come in as like, oh, we got a finance person here, but everybody had their own uh, experience about like what a finance person was. So for me, it was about, okay, I want to know what high performance and partnerships going to be and how in the the whole first year at Amarsis, like I was, it was just me. I had an external accounting team that I heard with. I had internal stakeholders that I worked with, but the whole first year, we didn't even make any headcount in, in enhancements to it. It was the whole first year. It was like almost like a probation a year. Like, hey, Chris, can you figure this thing out? But then once I got to it and said, okay, then when I brought on my next person, I said, okay, how do we continue to carry that high performance, high partnership to an org- to, to the team, right? What are the skill sets, not necessarily the work experience or the job that they did. I was looking and says, what are the skill sets that we need to complement high performance and partnership, right? One of the major changes we were making were moving people over from accounting outsource to in-source. So I needed someone attention to detail. I needed someone that uh, could collaborate. I needed someone that uh, had urgency for to deliver results. I need someone that w- had great accountability. So I looked at those skill sets and saying, okay, as we continue to build down this road of being value advisors, here are the skill sets in in this particular element that I need. Now, again, that first hire was a, a assistant controller position, but the responsibilities wasn't my major concern, right? It was about, okay, how is this person moving us higher on the business insight and making sure that we're having the most financial efficient processes as possible, right? Again, moving down that spectrum to get to Holy Grail, which I would tell you from experience, there's very few organization teams or industries that I've met uh, both working in or consulting on that people are in that value advisor role, right? But that to me is like, you, you almost treat it like a business strategy as you go through, as you make incremental investment in resources, as you make incremental investments in technology, as you make incremental investments on op- process optimizations, you're moving down that line of being that value advisor. So for me, it's a very, and I'll tell you, like I failed on the people side of that plenty of times. Even at a, I failed. I have failed and said, man, I, I, I did I own that. I didn't do a great job of making sure that we had the right resources in the best position for them and in the best position for the business at the time to make sure they're aligned, to, to make sure they go correctly. So that you got to treat it that way, right? And I think for all the listeners, one key takeaway, the most important place is establishing your baseline because that's going to tell you how you can build. That's going to tell you the skills inventory of the people you have right now, right? Maybe you have like that, like you mentioned earlier, that scorekeeper that they love to do that job. And maybe in the, in the business, that's what you need at that time. So for me, it's always establishing the baseline where you're at, where you're at is going to inform you what you need to do to where you want to go. So I think for me, those are the best kind of uh, examples and frameworks for people to follow to, to move down that that value advisor spectrum. Yeah, Glenn, I'll, I'll hand to you in a moment. I think that one of the key takeaways there from me, Chris, was to just take stock, right? Write down where you are right now 
how you're uh, how you're feeling about yourself, your persona, your engagement, and then think about the pathways to get there. Glenn, you, you've talked to me about uh, before about being a, a self-confessed introvert, right? And and you know naturally being an introvert, then trying to move to being a valued advisor, you need to kind of step out of that and, and become a little extroverted. Maybe not, you know, you, you can't change who you are, right? How did you go about doing that? Yeah, I, you know, for most of my life, I was an introvert. I have taught myself to be an extrovert, uh, which is not an easy thing to do. You have to put yourself into uncomfortable situations at times. Mm -hmm. And the way you do that is you build up your own confidence. You have to start with a success and then build on that. And you have to say, okay, I know I am the expert at this. I have to go into a situation with that confidence. And then you put yourself out there to speak up a little bit more, to reach out to somebody and to try and engage with them to become that trusted advisor. Now, you don't go from you know, not having in a relationship with someone to a trusted advisor overnight. It takes time to build that up. Mm -hmm. But you got to go and start taking those steps. If you were trying to climb a mountain, you don't go from the bottom to the top in one step. You got to take one step at a time and you got to start working and getting yourself up that mountain. And so really you need to look at who you are. And, you know, you guys said it, it, it you got to know who you are. And then you got to say, if this is where I am, this is my baseline. What is it going to take for me to get there? And some ways to go about it is find a mentor, find a coach who's really good at doing that. Maybe someone who you saw who was more like you, who's gotten and, and migrated themselves into that higher level. Ask them about how to go about doing it, what tips you know that they can provide you, and practice it. The number one thing that happens is that if you do not do this often enough, it doesn't become a habit. If it doesn't become a habit, you will fall back to exactly where you were before. So you have to keep working at it. And, you know, it's it is it's work and it, it does pay off in the end. But you have to be dedicated to it, because if you're not, it's going to, you know, just come off as, well, you, you tried something, you're not your heart's not really in it. And you're just really not going to succeed. And then, you know, if, if you work hard at something and you stay to it and you're determined and, you know, you, you keep you keep pushing yourself forward, you're going to succeed at whatever you do. Yeah. A couple of tips I, I've uh, received uh, around, you know, how to how to make a behavioral change. Right. Because that's what we're talking about. We're talking about a big behavioral change. You said at the start of uh, the start of the, the show, Glenn. You know, often introverts they they want to be sitting inside the data. They want to be do, doing an a, analyzing, and and that's a natural feeling for finance folks because that's where they believe they add a lot of value, right? Um, and 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 you know, we definitely need to be spending time on all of those things. So when you look at your calendar at the start of the week. Look at your maybe start color coding your calendar, right? And 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 you know have a uh, have red is when you're doing internal things and you're doing work, and green uh, when you're sharing and reporting and advising, and try and over time shape your calendar to look a little more green versus a lot of red, right? Like just helpful tips like that, I think, are really important for folks as they. Try and uh, create that behavioral change. It doesn't happen overnight and every week will be different, right? Like, you know, the end of a month or the end of a quarter, it's going to be all red <laughs> and, and that's okay. Like, that's okay. Um, but, you know, when, you know, that, that following week, it needs to be pretty much all green, right? Like that's when you're out there doing that. We Finance is, happens in cycles. It's just natural. Um, 
but during the during the intra months or intra periods try and be a little more green right uh, start thinking about how you can shape your calendar to spend more time with other folks that may lead to a red week because the people ask you for lots of things and then you go away and you do it and then you come back and have another green week. But look at it from, from that type of perspective would be one piece of advice I would have for folks. Yeah, in fact, actually, Rowan, when I started my career and I was using Outlook, I did something very similar. But what I did was when I blocked my time for me to be doing work, that was one color. If I had a recurring meeting you know, on a weekly basis, I'm meeting with a business partner, that would be a certain different kind of color because your mindset's a little more a little different Mm -hmm. you're a little more comfortable it's a regular thing that you're doing and then for ad hoc meetings those are the ones that say okay i gotta be more prepared i gotta think about what i'm doing going into the meeting and how i'm going to add value and so those would be a third color and that really did help me because when i would look at you know on monday what does my week look like I would sit there and say, oh, Tuesday, I got a lot of these one-on-ones, recurring meetings. Okay, I'm pretty comfortable, make sure I'm prepped for that. But, oh, Wednesday, I got a lot of these ad hoc things. I got to make sure I'm on my game for those. Those are new concepts, new ideas. This is where I need to go over and show people that I can be more than just the data provider, that I could go over and really have an input. And those colors actually really did help me. So I've used that in my own career. Awesome. Hey. Chris, Yo, have you used gold. any? That's go. Yeah, that's go for like all you guys, because like uh, you know, me me coming into a new role now is like I'm on like with s I'm on these conversations all the time, and I'm having to pivot so much in between between like okay, I need to sit here for an hour and a half and be more of a consultant and advisor to somebody asking a question, right? Then after that's over. I'm even in between after that's over, I'm shifting like immediately into like, okay, I need to be in problem solver mode. I need to be tactical. I need to like change that lens. And I'll be honest, like that, that has been something for me that is a, uh, you know, with, 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 with what I'm going through now, it's, it's been a different, it's been a huge learning curve for me because I'm so used to like being tactical and in the Mars's business, like every conversation is like, we get to it, we solution, we align, we get it done, we execute. But now it's like, no, nah, that's going to take four or five different conversations to get along to finding out like, okay, this is where I need to come in so I'm in executor mode, right? So Glenn, your example about setting those calendar, like that was just like an aha moment for me that I just had was like, I need to have these be kind of to me triggers like go i need to get it done because it's go time or i need to have it a different color where it needs to be like transitioning to something else and like i think like to me that would be a visual cue to put me in the right mindset because i'm i'm learning like i need to operate chris as an advisor and i've had feedback from people tell me they're like chris like you should be advising them on what we should do not like not like dictating this is what should be done around it when i'm like okay like that's a fair point that's feedback but i think being able to like be almost like an air traffic controller of what value and uh, again a lot of it too is is understanding the audience that you're a part of right i think that's so key right when you're in a conversation a lot of times i say okay is it now for me would you like for me to buy my opinion or are you just looking for me to listen to understand right a lot of times, most of the time, you just brainstorm it with you or 
Because the worst you can do is think a person is coming to you to solution, but really they're just coming to you to understand. And then now you have this disconnect because they're like, no, 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 Chris, I just want you to understand. I want you to brainstorm. I want to I want to be pie in the sky with you versus like, no, I'm trying to go in solution mode. So I think for me, like those are some really, really good. Like when Glenn said it, I was like, I'm going to do that to my calendar like now because I think that would cue to me to say, okay, Chris, change your mindset. You just got out of this meeting. Very tactical. You got those and just be fluid with it. So I, I mean, that's, that's awesome. From a, uh, that one step further. I love what, I love what you were just saying. And you could even color your calendar and saying, what is my role in these meetings? Am I leading the meeting? Am I someone in there just in support? Am I there to learn something? Am I trying to inform somebody of something else? And, you know, in your calendars, you could have eight or nine different colors. Don't make it to a point where you're like, have to have a legend <laughs> to figure out what you're looking at. But, <laughs> you know, have something set up in a way that you know, okay, I ne- I'm leading these meetings. I need to make sure I have everything set up beforehand versus I'm being invited to this meeting just to hear what's going on. I don't have an active role. And that can also help set your mindset in the right way going into your days, making sure you're prepped. Because the one thing that's going to happen, if you are an introvert, you have to go and think ahead of time, how am I going to be extroverted, right? It doesn't come naturally to you. So you need to plan this out. And so if you have a meeting that says, oh, wait, I have to lead this next coming call, you should be thinking about what's my agenda? What do I want to get out of the meeting? What does everyone else want to get out of the meeting? And how do we achieve that? And so though just by sometimes seeing those colors on your calendar, it triggers something in your mind that says, oh, wait, I got that blue meeting coming up versus that green one over there. And, and that can really help you. Yeah, it's it's really important, I think, to just have that self-awareness. I've said it a couple of times here. As you are building out your your personal brand, your, your personal identity within an organization, um, you have to have a plan. We've talked a lot today about, you know, taking taking stock, preparing, thinking through things. And, and that's really important, especially the earlier on you are in your career. Right, it, you can probably wing it a little more uh, the more mature you get because you're at that valued advisor level. You've got pattern recognition to see you know, what's going on in the world. Um, but earlier in your career, you need to have that plan. One thing I would also say, being, coming from the business side of things, is um, Chris said it before. He said, just ask people you know, what their perception of you is and you'll, you'll figure out where you are in those buckets. The one thing that business leaders don't know, though, is they also may not have encountered the valued advisor role before. And they've only ever had scorekeepers in their finance world, or maybe they've had constrained advisors, right? So if you come to them and say, what value can I bring to you? They may go, I don't know. <laughs> because they've never had that partnership. They, they don't know what a powerful, you know, high-performing FP&A team may look like and what value it can bring to them. So you may actually have to say, look, here are the things that I can do for you. Here is what, what I am able to do. This is my skill sets. As Chris says, you know, my, my skills, passions, and talents. These are the things that I believe I should be doing for you. Which of these would be a priority for you? Um, and again, that, that takes a little extra version, right? It takes having that plan, but also don't just assume that you can go to the business and say, here I am, I'm your valued advisor, leverage me as you will, because they just don't, they just don't know. 
Um, right. and, and it's really important to, to remember that, I, you know, I, I've worked in a lot of functions in an organization. I don't know what everyone does every day. I don't live that life. I try and have the empathy for that. But I therefore often don't know what they're capable of. And the same is true for finance professionals, right? There's a perception that exists among business leaders that you just the spreadsheet people. And, and that's wrong, right? It is wrong, but you have, to un- you have to understand that that is their worldview of you and you have to go and shape it and change it. Um, but it's not, it's not an um, easy thing to do. Glenn, what, what sort of changes have you had to make where, um, or, or partnering like that where you've had to say, hmm, someone doesn't get what I do. Here's how I go and help them understand what I do and create value for them. You know, there's a lot of different approaches. Uh, and it, you have to kind of gauge the room and what's the personality. I'll give you two different examples. One time when I started working at Charles Schwab, I was told by this executive, hey, when I want something from you, I'll let you know. And I immediately challenged him on it. And because he was an executive and I said, yeah, I appreciate that, but that's not how I work. I'm going to be proactive with you. I'm going to engage. And I started pushing myself into his leadership organization saying, let me, I'm going to throw out ideas. I'm going to talk to you about where you are going and how I can help you get there. And that's just who I am. So I even then would go over and make a little joke of it and say, and I apologize to you because I am not the person that you thought you're going to have. You just have me to deal with. So sorry, but this is the direction we're going to go. And he was a little taken aback, but it turned out I ended up being one of his most valued advisors because he wanted somebody who was not going to just sit back and say, tell me what to do. He wanted someone who would do things on their own. And his experience with finance was finance people didn't do that. So immediately when I stepped into that, he was like, oh, well, okay. And then are you a little nervous? He said, well, we'll see how that goes. And it went, it went well because I had to go and deliver what I was just talking about. There are other times that you get somebody who says, you know what? I'm not interested, not looking for any engagement. Just send me my numbers. Tell me what I need to know. So when I'm talking to my boss, I'm not getting yelled at or I can answer the question. (laughs) And in that case, you just need to go and say, okay, we'll start there. We'll see where it goes. But you need to go over and build that trust and say, this guy's not looking for a conversation. He cut me off at every turn. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to deliver on exactly what they're asking for. And every once in a while, I'm going to throw in another little tidbit. Hey, by the way, I was looking at this. I don't know. Maybe this helps you tell the story a little bit. Or, I, you know, I thought when, you know, I was looking at what we're doing for this other organization that's kind of similar. I thought this might help you. Do you like this? And you throw it out there and you don't push yourself on there. But instead, you're saying, I'm going to put something in front of you. You react to it. Do you like it or not? If not, fine. We get rid of that. If you do like it, great. We could continue. And you start making those incremental steps. But right. you have to really gauge that room. Because if you step in the wrong way, and trust me, I have done this many times in my career where you push yourself on someone and they're just like, get out of my office. I don't want to deal with you anymore. They pick up the phone. They call your boss. Say, I don't want this guy. It's my business partner. Too pushy, right? You, you I have been there. And it's a, you really have to go and, and 
gauge where that person is. And so you take one step and say, oh, did that work? And say, great, it did. Okay, I'm going to take another step. If it, I took a step, nope, that didn't work. Okay, I'm not going to go down that path again. And you, part of that is experience. And some of it is that experience just comes from just failing miserably and understanding why. And, you know, that's what coaching is for. That's why you go to your manager. That's what you talk to your CFO or your head of FP&A or whoever it is that, that you feel comfortable talking to, to get that advice and say, oh, my God, I think I just totally screwed up this thing with this, with this, with, you know, this person over here. How do you think I could go and fix it? Yeah, that's- and, and then you listen to them. And, and that's what this, this uh, podcast and clubhouse is for too. Come get, come get some advice from people that have also failed before, right? We've all done it. Um, and uh, hopefully we can find some shortcuts for you. So Chris, you're, you're someone that has built a, a persona uh, for sure. Um, how have you gone about that and, and what's in it for you? I think, yeah, this is great. So w- when you talk about uh, one of the key things is, is, finding that alignment between who you really are in business and who you really are outside of business. And I tell you, like for me, that has been a a journey. And I'm not even saying I'm even close to where the true journey and ultimate legendary greatness that I'm going to achieve is going to be. But for me, like for those listeners that are earlier in their career, for those people, even later in your career, right? Because a lot of people, they find out they want to do FPNA, so they move from an accounting and they go into FPNA and they make that jump, right? But for me, it was like, I know what is important to me, what my why and my purpose are outside of work. How can I find organizations and teams and challenges and opportunities for me and my career to align the two? Because the moment that you're aligned in both who you are, Chris, outside of work and Chris Ortega, who I am inside of work, once I found that in organizations and cultures and teams, and once I find out that that wasn't going to be aligned, right? Like I knew that early in my career in public accounting was like, this is, I'm not going to be the partner route. Like I'm not going to do, you know, 20 years into this right now, just because this doesn't align to where I see myself having the most value. So I think the first thing is, is having that alignment who you are outside and inside, right? The second step around it as well is like for me, I know that I approach accounting finance very unorthodox and a little bit differently. I knew that in all the organizations I was a part of, but I didn't I didn't force that on people. And I was self-aware to, and I learned this the hard way. Right. I've learned this the hard way. Like sometimes I could come in and it's like, Chris, your energy, not even you talking, your energy's too much. Like you just need <laughs> to you need to like find a way to keep that energy in a, in a containment perspective. And for me, it was like, well, I'm self-aware to know in pockets I need to do that. So I need to dial that down. But also at the same time, I let people know I'm not going to, I'm not going to permanently shine that light. And if you're expecting me to permanently keep that down, I'm not going to be the right person for this. And to give an example on that, when I first started at Amarsis, right? The first time I met all of my, uh, APAC and EMEA and Vienna colleagues internationally, right? There was also a persona that they had of what they thought accounting and finance was inside of accounting and finance, <laughs> right? So like there's even layers within teams that you're a part of, right? And for me, it was like, no, Chris, like when we ask you stuff, like you're asking us why too much, like, and I said, well, 
I understand. Like the reason why I ask why is because it's important for me to understand what I'm doing. So that way, if somebody asks me, I can empower them with the same knowledge I gave them. Right. And they were like, well, we don't operate that way. We get told what to do and we do it. I said, I understand. I respect that. And that's the persona and the value that you bring to that leader. But this is the other way of seeing around it. Right. And for me, it was like you you, you got to make sure in that second step that you it, it's always like you're finding the best ways. And, and, and this is what I do. I find the best ways in every situation, personally and professionally, to make sure that I'm leveraging my skills, passions, and talents in the best way for the end user, not for myself. That's key. Let me take a step back for everybody on that. Make sure you're valuing, maximizing your value proposition and what skills, passions, and talents you bring to the table, not for your own selfish interest, but how is it to maximize the other people around you? That is where you get exponential. Like that's where you go from scorekeeper to value divide. You 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 just multiply exactly who you are. You you command attention. You get respect. You get the opportunities to be in the seat at the table when you approach it that way, right? And that to me has been something throughout my career. Is I am all like I am not the senior director of global finance for Marsis. I am the the person that is helping and serving whoever in our global organization. That is what I'm meant to do. Now, if it's through numbers, if it's through listening, if it's through decision-making, that's where I use my skills, passion, and talents to impact that. But I think for me, that has always been kind of my North Star and how I've aligned those external and internal personas in accounting finance and FP&A. And I want, if I could add one thing to that, is that you need to not only understand kind of you know, really who you are, where you're trying to go, but you got to be consistent. One of the best compliments I ever received, actually, I received it twice, about eight years apart, once from my wife, once from my boss. And it was, you are the same person, whether you are talking to a CEO or a janitor. And to me, I, oh my God, I would, that's just my favorite compliment because I, my response, especially when I was talking to my boss, I said, yeah, it takes a lot of energy to be me. I don't have I don't have enough energy to try and be someone else, too. And that's the thing. It's like you you have to recognize that if you're going to be one way in a particular meeting and you're some completely different way in a, in a different meeting, your persona, your your brand, your reputation is going to be all over the map. You've got to be consistent and you have to make sure that you're hitting that mark every single time and be who you are naturally. Even if you're a natural introvert, that's okay. And you're pushing yourself to be an extrovert. That's fine. But you just got to be consistent across the board because the second somebody thinks, oh, yeah, you know what? You talk, you know, you're very nice when you manage up when you're talking to your boss or the executive. But when you talk to people below you, you're kind of a jerk. That two-faced kind of approach is something that you don't want to have associated with yourself. So make sure that you are consistent across the board with how you talk to people, how you approach people, uh, how you interact with people. Oh, oh, and just sorry, Rowan, just to jump in on what Glenn said, like one, if there's a nugget to give everybody, the, the one thing that I always have where it doesn't pass the smell test and the radars go off for me, if your words don't align to your actions, if those are not aligned, if you say, hey, I'm going to deliver this, I'm Rowan, I'm going to deliver this lead generation analysis to you tomorrow by the end of day. And then I don't deliver, you're, you're, and that's, that's literally like if I take one thing 
that I measure every every person against, myself against, business strategies against, leaders against, companies against. That is my like, that's my sniff test. If what you say doesn't align to what you're walking, if your walk doesn't align with your talk and your talk doesn't align with your walk, we got problems. And the last thing you want to do as a a, a a superstar accounting finance FP&A person is not have that alignment. You will... And, and I will tell you from experience, I have seen and worked with and had on my team some of the most talented accounting finance people of all time. They have destroyed their personal brand, their persona and their value proposition individually because they don't have that alignment. So I, I, I echo that off of what Glenn said, because that is vital, vital to make sure your words are aligning to your actions. Yeah, absolutely agree. Yeah, it, it, it's so powerful, uh, especially if you, if to, to use a word that Glenn said, if you're consistent with that too, you know, leaders start to see, wow, this, this person, this individual, they, they tell me they're going to do something and they deliver every time I can trust that person. And, and even if potentially the quality of work might not be that high, right? Like, you know, if, if you're, you know, you're struggling with something and it's like, but you delivered it. And then you can iterate on on that with someone. And so, you know, I, I work with, um, in marketing, <laughs> um, there's always this quest to be perfect, right? To have the perfect design, to have the, the perfect, uh, you know, the perfect blog, the perfect this. And, and we all try and absorb so much time to make it perfect. And, and we don't want to give it to the boss until it's perfect. Um, Stop it, <laughs> right? Show <laughs> progress, show progress. If it's not perfect, tell your boss. Say, hey, I said that I was going to deliver this by end of day. Here it is. There are three things I still want to do to make it perfect. Do you need me to do those? And the boss may say, eh, 80-20 rule. Nah, keep keep moving on, right? Um, it's okay. And, and that's what... That's what leaders want to see, and that's how you lead is actually doing that yourself, right? Lead yourself into those places. I would also say one of the like to to kind of recap today. Not recap. We're not at the end, but one of the big things that we've talked about today is alignment, right? Chris, you were just talking about aligning your expectations with with your actions. Uh, we've talked about aligning your persona with um, with business leaders, with your you know who you're partnering with. You, Chris, you even talked about aligning different finance teams, right? It's so important to think about how am I aligned with this person? You know, how am I aligned with this team? How do how do I fit in? And so, if you're sitting there and you're saying, well, how can I add more value? First start with that question of how am I lined up with everyone else? What are their expectations? What are my expectations? And, and because if you can get aligned, right, you don't always have to be completely aligned with everyone and that's okay. But if you can get that core framework together, it makes your job so much easier. Um, (laughs) I can't stress it enough. Just write it down, like draw it on a whiteboard, draw it on a piece of paper. Like how am I aligned here with these people? And, and if you can't do that, then call them, right? And try and figure it out. Glenn, how have, how have you done? You, you've, you've obviously um, had a lot of experience doing that, like organizational alignment. 
How do you start there? And, and especially for someone that might be a little earlier on in their career, typically the listeners and, and participants in, in, this, in this clubhouse. So there's a few different approaches you can take. First of all, if you're in a meeting and you're there physically together, you're right. Draw it out. Make sure. And, and one of the ways to do it is you're going to have a leader, especially if you're more junior in your career. You're probably hearing from somebody who is more senior. Once they go, they're going to tell you about, okay, here's what I'm thinking. Repeat it back to them. Just say, hey, I just want to make sure we're, we're on the same page. This is what you're saying. This is what you're looking for. They come back to you and say, yep, that's it. Good. You got the alignment. You got that confirmation. If you don't do that, you may be thinking you're going one way. They're thinking you're going a different way. And then you have that misalignment and that's a mess. Mm -hmm. The other thing to do is to talk to people about what they do. If I was going to go over and say, hey, Rowan, you're running marketing. Let's talk about, you know, the impact that marketing is making. What is it that you look for? What are your drivers? And I learn from you so that then I could use that knowledge that you were giving me to apply it to what I'm doing and give it right back to you with a little bit more on the, hey, here's where I'm coming from, finance or strategy side of things. And your response back is typically going to be, oh, my God, you get it because I'm effectively taking your words and I'm enhancing what you're doing and having – And what you really want is you want that business leader to say, to say oh, Glenn, yeah, this, this business, he gets it. He understands what I'm doing. Because if you go in there, and we talked about this on a few podcasts ago, I don't know, a couple weeks or whatever it was, where if you go in there and you say, I'm going to do what I want to do, regardless of what the business is doing, you're not going to have that alignment. You have to say, hey, business leader, what is it that you need? What are you, how can I help you? And then you need to take what you're doing and adjust and adapt to make sure you're delivering that value. You still may need to go over and get a couple other things from you, you know, from your needs from from the finance side. But you got to still deliver that value back to the business and saying, here's what they need. And the only way you do that is by talking to them and confirming that what you're going to do is going to be what they're what they're looking for. Yeah, a hundred percent. And and if anyone's listening and they're not in finance and accounting. Still do that. <laughs> do it. Yes. Do that in your real life. Like, do that in your personal life, too. Like, just be that, that person. With your spouse, your girlfriend, your, your, your husband, whatever it happens, you know, whoever, your, your mom. Uh, yeah, it will work in any relationship. Yeah. Uh, it's... And, Rowan, if I, I just want to add, I want to add to what Glenn said. Like, I think it's Glenn, man, I, I sit here, Glenn, and I just, for all the listeners and everybody, Glenn absolutely learned so much from you, man. I think from my experience and what I've seen is like the the Achilles heel to alignment is the other A. And this other A, I don't I if I don't mean to cuss, I don't mean to be frank, but this other A makes an ass out of you and me. Assumptions. Please. The number one killer of a, any alignment is two people making assumptions. Let me give you an example. If I if I say, hey Rowan, it's Friday, right? And I'm just assuming like, oh, yeah, I'm assuming like this is going on and I'm waiting. I'm scheduling my whole day. Assumptions destroy alignment. And the biggest way that you can just eliminate assumptions about I'm assuming you're going to do this or I'm assuming this is the way it's going to be or I'm assuming you're making this decision and thinking this way. Have direct, proactive conversations. Address it immediately. Right. If you think if you like I, last night, I'm I'm having a misunderstanding with our head of professional services. And I said, hey, 
I'm looking at it this way. How are you looking at it? Are you seeing it differently? And we approach the con- and this is with all of our leaders, right? Our top salesperson, our professional services, me in finance, the leader of sales ops. Like this is all the top people. And I said, hey, I may have made I'm I'm I made a wrong call. I own this mistake. I made an assumption this is how you were thinking about it. I own it. I'm sorry. This is what I'm thinking about. Are you seeing it this way? And do you see this as a likely next steps? It was addressed immediately. I owned it. And now we're back aligned. But too many times, and for those young professionals, even older professionals, right? Having proactive, direct conversation and communication immediately destroys any assumptions around it. That is the worst thing that you can have around alignment because people think you're marching in the right direction and nobody had that check-in point. Alignment is destroyed. Yeah. I got a good little quick story. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, just to, to add to that. I was maybe five years out of college. I was working at Franklin Templeton and somehow I gained some confidence from the CEO. I, you know, I, I, I always used to like to call myself a glorified peon because I was a peon in the company. I was a senior financial analyst, <laughs> but I, I, I had exposure somehow to the top executives and Marty Flanagan, who was the co-CEO, would call me up to his office once a month and he would draw something out. And I had no idea what Marty was talking about. I was so over my head just sitting in the room with him. And he would say, well, Glenn, I'm thinking about this. And he's like, I couldn't understand. He was, had horrible handwriting. I couldn't read what he was writing. I had no idea what was going on. And, and then he would say, okay, so can you do something like this? And the first thing that's going through my head is, What? <laughs> but I went over and said, okay, I think, and I went over and said, I think you're saying something like this. And I thought about what I can actually do. And I redrew what he said and said, I think you're going in this direction. And then he would come back and say, yes, that's exactly. And every time I'm like, oh, good, got it. Wow. L- lucky, you know, <laughs> lucky guess. But it was by me confirming with him, it's going back to him and making sure that we were aligned and not walking out of the room, not understanding anything that Marty had said, and then me trying to figure out what he wants. There's no way I was going to hit what Marty was looking for. But instead, I went over and I restated it. I went back to him, made sure before I left that room that I said, this is what you want. And he said, yeah, that's perfect. And then I was like, oh, no problem. I got that. And then it's like I went over and it was easy for me to succeed. And like an hour later, I sent him data, and his response was like, oh, my God, Glenn, this is totally amazing. And I was just kind of like, oh. This was a simple thing. He didn't know that, but it was just to make sure before you walk out of that room, you know what that deliverable is and you've aligned the expectations so that you can hit them. Yeah, it's so important. I mean, one of my favorite slides every time someone presents something to me, whether it's a model or whether it's analysis is the first thing. Here are the assumptions that went into this. Right. Because it's just they get it straight out on the table and I immediately can react to those assumptions first and say, oh, before I look at this analysis, I now understand where that person was coming from. I understand um, what thought they may or may not have put into it. And I can then evaluate whatever I'm looking at based on the assumptions that they've documented for me. Right. And, And the same should be true of your financial plan <laughs> document the assumptions because some people will look at a plan and they're like oh that's completely messed up and it's like 
oh, and then you have a conversation about it. And guess what? Oh, it's not messed up because of the assumptions that they've made, right? Based on those assumptions, the plan looks solid. If you've got a different set of assumptions, that plan looks terrible. Um, and and so, you know, it's really important that like just if you are making assumptions as part of, you know, modeling is a key thing that FPNA people do all the time and you have to make assumptions to do modeling, right? You, there's no way you can build a model without any assumptions, but just document them. And, and the same can be true of any work that you're doing, like exactly what Glenn said, right? Just reaffirming, recalibrating with Marty was the way that you got through that, you know, what would have been a very tough kind of feeling, right? You're at the sea and you're like, why am I here? <laughs> uh, I hope I don't screw this up. I'm going to take that one step further. Yes, you have to do assumptions. You have to, you know, whenever you're doing modeling, what I would say is before you leave the room, confirm and align with the key assumptions this way because the last thing you want to do is rowan if i'm going to do a model for you if i'm going to do some kind of analysis and i haven't talked to you what those assumptions are if you look at it and say wait that doesn't even make sense to me i've wasted a lot of time building out that model because the results won't won't be any value so i want to go and say all right my major assumption, I got five things that I'm going to be driving this off of. I'm looking at, you know, growth rates of this. You know, th these are the different areas that will be impacted. This is what we're looking at. And just confirm those assumptions before you leave the room so that then, you know, the minor assumptions, you might say, oh, you know what? I wasn't looking for a 5% growth rate. I want that six and a half. Okay, fine. That's easy enough to change. But the structure of the model of what you're doing, it's so key to get that alignment before you leave to make sure you're you're building your model in the right direction the the fringes will will could be adjusted but if you if you if you're way off on those key assumptions like oh we want to grow internationally okay i'm going to assume you're going to grow everywhere you come back to a leader and say i can't grow everywhere i was thinking europe there's a very different type of model and approach so align on those key assumptions yeah absolutely yeah and and rowan tying this back to personas right valued advisors don't run away from proactive, direct conversations. They don't. Exactly. They don't. I mean, so when you talk about a persona that you want, I, I'm a direct communicator when I'm talking boxing, when I'm doing fitness, anything. Like, I'm a direct, proactive communicator, right? And when we talk about a lot of today about personas, that is a persona of a valued advisor. They're going to meet it and say, like, look, good and bad. Right. Assumptions are good and bad. Right. You're going to have assumptions. Sometimes you're like, look, this is what it's going to be. But the thing about that is you want to be proactive. You want to be direct in your communication about it. Right. The last thing you ever want to do in public, private or any persona that you're going to have is not be that person that proactively communicates. I'd rather have someone tell me something's horribly about to go wrong and I should be aware of it. And this is what could go wrong. Then, then never not tell it. Any leader would say that. I'd rather have like anybody, any leader is going to always say like, I'd rather have somebody in the trenches with me that's going to say, hey, look, if we keep marching in this direction, we're going to come across some landmines. I want you to know, but here's where we're going. And that's what's going to happen, right? I value that any day of the week than like, you did this awesome analysis and do all this great stuff and like, I'm surprised by it. Another thing, please, 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 major takeaway, do not have your leaders have surprises. Tell your <laughs> leaders surprises well in advance. Because the moment that they figure out a surprise, then they're like, man, the last thing you ever want to do in any persona you're trying to have is to blindside people. And I think what we're talking about with this alignment 
and modeling and assumptions. Valued advisors run towards proactive, direct conversations. The only surprises leaders like is a bottle of champagne, a uh, <laughs> you know something positive, a little <laughs> yeah. a little gift on their desk. Uh, nobody likes any bad yeah. surprises. <laughs> Higher revenue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or, or bookings. Or are you you're, the surprise you went over book, your bookings target? Or, or your league goals? Like yeah, that, good that, guys surprises are good. That that bluebird win. Yeah, that's a good surprise. But uh, someone's also in trouble for sandbagging their forecast at that point. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, gents, we, we've got a, a few minutes left. Is there? You know, we, we today we've. We've covered a lot of, of key topics as we talk about, you know, FP&A doing, becoming that business partner and ad- adopting those key personas and how to do that through alignment, through um, through planning. We talked a lot about, you know, personal planning, organizational planning, and, uh, and then just kind of really making sure that you document as you go, right? I, I think that's another really important, um, important part of the process. Is there any uh, final uh, final words that either of you want to share around this uh, building out your persona? Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll chime in. So know where you are, right? But kind of as a little bit of a recap. Know where you are. Know where you want to be. If you don't want to, if you're not comfortable being that trusted advisor, that's not the direction you want to go. Recognize it. Don't push yourself into it. And be consistent. I think that's the thing that, you know, be, be, and actually, I'd say one other thing be honest. Don't try and, you know, sugarcoat something. Don't try and, uh, you know, say something that, that you're going to, you know, commit to doing something. You don't do it. Chris talked about that earlier. Those things are just so important because it all comes down to one word trust. Is that if you're going to be an advisor, they have to trust you, which means that you have to deliver on what you say, you have to back up what you do. And you have to be open and honest and they have to respect and understand and trust the words that come out of your mouth. My final takeaway uh, with Glenn is walk and talk the same way you do inside and outside the business. Yeah, Yeah, I I I love that. that. All right, gentlemen, you know, thank you so much. This has been FP&A Fridays on Clubhouse every Friday, 10 a.m. Pacific. Uh, we'll be back next week with uh, with a great set of uh, discussion topics yet again. Thank you all so much for uh, joining us here on Clubhouse. Really appreciate it. And uh, have a great weekend, everyone. <laughs>